welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin-Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as we discuss their journey with their voice and how they use it to support their passions and professions in media, education and the performing arts. My guest this week is singing and music theory specialist and music consultant, Joanna Wilson. Our paths crossed recently through Joanna taking part in my Reset and Manifest pilot study, and it seems quite serendipitous for us both that we met by chance as we've connected on so many levels. Joanna started her musical career playing violin as a child and was fortunate to tour with Manchester Youth Orchestra before moving to London to start her professional training at 18. As you'll discover, Joanna had to move on from the violin, and it is here she moved into her singing training from which she went on to work as a professional opera singer, living the eight shows a week lifestyle before branching into teaching others from 2009. It's not always been easy, but it is helpful to hear about the struggles as well as the successes and note the value in all that we experience. Even the toughest of times that might have felt heartbreaking at the time can steer us onto our true path. Joanna's positive outlook on life is a joy to be around So let's dig in and find out more about her together. So welcome to the podcast, Joanna Wilson. How are you today? The first question I have for you, which is a biggie, isn't it, is how would you describe the journey with your voice? That is a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I started singing in church as a child and then joined the school choir. And it was quite a big part of my life. You know, the the school choir also sung in the church services and weddings, funerals, you know, requiems, etc. But it was always in the in the background because from the age of seven, my chosen instrument was the violin. I I played the violin all through school, through sixth form. Uh, Music was so much a part of my life. But by doing that, it took me and my and my twin sister into all kinds of adventures at quite an early age, you know, traveling around Europe with the Manchester Youth Orchestra and those kind of experiences. And uh, it, it was amazing because, you know, we came from a fairly working class background and music gave us opportunities that we wouldn't have had otherwise, which I'd always be eternally grateful for. And it really fueled my love of travel and my sort of wanderlust and my love of different cultures and music from all over the world. And so the singing for most of my sort of school life was, was something that I did in church. But then uh, I eventually got into music college and I left home at 18 from uh, Lancashire, where I grew up. Came to London, to the big city. Oh, my goodness, what a shock that was. You know, <laughs> suddenly uh, I was a very small fish in a very big sea. And I started a four year uh, performance and teaching diploma on the violin. And somewhere along the line, um, I realised that um, being a professional violinist in an orchestra was not necessarily going to be my path, mostly because of some health issues. Um, my sister and I both um, had um, osteoarthritis from a very young age, and I found that the physical problems were starting to hold back my technique, which was really frustrating to me because music was all I'd ever known and all I'd ever done and what I was mostly good at. You know, I was always very artistic. I did much better at school in the in the creative rather than the more academic subjects. But, of course, I'd always sang. And at uh, music college, I was also in the choir and a couple of small vocal ensembles. And I decided to switch my first study from violin to singing. And I've discovered the most amazing teacher, Elizabeth Hawes, 
Bjorg called her Libby, uh, who's just fabulous. She was the, the the head of the singing department, and she was uh, even then she was uh, she was quite mature in age. She'd been teaching most of her life, and she was such a huge inspiration to me. And she said to me, "Look, you know, we've got all this natural talent here. Why don't you uh, switch studies and um, continue your course as a singer, so that you don't have to just stop and give it all up?" So the singing to me is massive because it actually it freed me up as a musician. It allowed me to continue as a musician. It allowed me to still express myself through music. You know, I hadn't had any official lessons up to that point. So there was a lot of catching up to do. And Libby said to me, okay, we're going to fill you up like an empty jug. We're just going to put all the technique in under your natural ability, under your, under your natural expression. Um, you know, because I had a very um, emotional, very... Um, expressive kind of voice I, I, even even more so than than I did when I was a violinist you know my, I remember my violin teacher used to say to me if you can sing it you can play it and we'd often do sort of mental practice where we were away from the music but we were singing the Bach or the Beethoven or whatever we were learning so that you'd get that mental um, um, oral memory yeah so we did that and I was in the final year I was in my fourth year of the four-year course and I'd already done the other modules you know I'd already done all the other parts of the exam um, but the practical, I managed to get a couple of extra years, a couple of postgrad years from my local education authority at the time. This was well before student loans. And um, I got the two years. So I, I'd, I'd done three years violin and then I, I did the last year on the, the singing and then got a couple more years. So I was able to catch up with all the classes and, you know, the German leader and the Italian opera. And we had all these wonderful teachers coming in. Um, from all around and um, people who'd been wonderful professional singers and we had Tina Ruta from the Opera House coming in and we had all this coaching and you know there was all the languages to catch up on and so those two years were pretty intense but just the way just I suddenly felt freed you know mm. now I could express myself and my music and my emotions but without pain without any physical restrictions you know yeah and, I, my career went off in other directions, you know, when I graduated from college. And oh, also the final year was wonderful because I'd, I'd been um, uh, entering competitions all the way through my college years and getting into the finals um, for the French song, English song, German leader, etc. But then in my final year, I actually won the, the, um, the Leavers Prize, which was uh, the, the Singing Faculty Award. And that was wonderful for me because I really felt that I was actually um on, on an even footing as a singer even though I'd had to really catch up and I started really late it, it made me feel that I was a part of, of that you know part of the uh, the rest of the, my uh, graduating peers you know. yeah that's lovely wonderful and I was invited back a year later to do an inaugural recital and all my family came and it was just wonderful. oh lovely would so, you remember what you sang in your um in your the one that you won the award for well, it was mostly my favourites. <laughs> I love I love French song, and there, there was a bit of Debussy in there. Uh, there was a little bit of Poulenc. Um, I know there was there was definitely some uh, a couple of operaries, probably something from Carmen. Yeah, um, it was it was my sort of favourite songs. Um, so there was a, a a mixture of um, art songs and opera arias. I think from what I can remember, it's a long time ago now. <laughs> It was definitely my favourite. So that was a real highlight. And so my career went in different directions and I went into different careers. And, I, you know, you, when you're needing to just make a living and suddenly you've got rent to pay in and, uh, and uh, student debts to pay off, yeah. etc. And I call it um, I call it life takes over. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Life <laughs> took over for quite some time. 
But I did finally um, start to get uh, some professional work. Um, you know, I started to do some corporate work um, and uh, lots of functions and lots of opera choruses. And then eventually I had um, many years where I was working. Um, I was working with uh, Carl Rosa Opera, um, Gilbert and Sullivan International Opera. Um, and that took me on tour all over the country. Um, it took me um, up to the beautiful Buxton Opera House, which I sung in every year. It was just a joy with a wonderful family of, of beautiful people who were all from different ages, different walks of life. who all came together every year and they do these fabulous festivals and it was just fabulous I loved it I felt like I was living my best life you know um, doing all the, tra the traveling which I love um, you know in costumes makeup wigs you know oh, um, huffing around on stages <laughs> dance numbers and singing it was like everything all in in, in in one you know yeah I was living my best life I loved it but that life I found was also full of stress you know, despite when I was working, how much I enjoyed it, I was trying to do it on my own. I didn't really have an agent. And I realized you're only really as, as good as your, your last booking. Um, and I was constantly having to generate work for myself whilst working. Mm. So I'd be in a contract, you know, doing eight shows a week. And I'd be in the daytime, in the mornings, traveling up and down the country, doing auditions, trying to generate the next job. Sometimes in the daytime, trying to get back to the evening show. I mean, oh, there was a, a lot going on. It was quite crazy. And then, you know, occasionally I'd get the next job and it would be great. And I'd be able to relax knowing that when that contract came to an end, there'd be another one. But when I didn't get the job, the reality was I was back in the dog queue, you know, mm. um, in between. And I found that very stressful. So it kind of started to take some of the shine off a little bit of doing what I loved, doing my passion, the actual stress of earning a living out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my peers who were having a, a stress-free time, were those who were either married and they had a husband who could support them in between contracts or, you know, some of them were still living in, with their parents in their 30s. And it mm. just meant that in between contracts, they were all right. They didn't have to worry about keeping a roof over their head, you know. Yeah. Then as I got older, um, I started teaching on the side. Um, I, that quite a lot of, of crazy opportunities came into my life. And uh, I, was, uh, I started working in a nursery school as a music teacher and creative arts teacher. Um, and it was wonderful to work with the little toddlers. Oh, that, that made me think of a. I started to see life in a different way. Lee. It was like yeah. you look through their eyes and you see the wonder of everything. And I really enjoyed that for a while. Um, and then that led to me deciding to do some private teaching and the singing got less and the teaching got more. And then it kind of took over and became my day job. Um, and eventually I founded my, my business, Miss Joanna's Music Box. And I'm now teaching um, private singing and uh, group singing and theory and I've also set myself up as a sort of consultant for other nurseries that may want to have music incorporated into their daily uh, schedule and how to do that so I, I do uh, workshops I mean uh, I don't get much singing work now I anticipate that at some point I will go back to it but more on an amateur level so that I'll join a choir and then I'll just enjoy uh, just enjoy singing for the joy of it. Yeah. Rather than without with the stress of making a living. Because now I'm enjoying the teaching so much. Do you find any differences teaching classical and non-classical singers? So I find that the techniques when used correctly with a healthy voice are the same. I mean, I'll give you an example. I taught a, a, a chap for a while who was a rapper and who uh, did hip hop. And he was absolutely wonderful. He was a dancer. He had this amazing personality. And I discovered that the techniques he needed 
to be able to get through a long phrase of very fast words, to have clear diction, to be able to sustain the breath so that he could get through that phrase without breaking it up. And with the kind of support that kept his voice well-rounded and easy to, to listen to, exactly the same as what a classical or opera singer would use to sustain a long phrase. Mm. You know, you're singing Handel and you've got all those runs all over the place and there's nowhere to breathe. And to keep the uh, tone of the sound going in that with the very clear diction, singing through the vowels um, and keeping your consonants nice and clear. I found they were the same. Yeah. <laughs> so the only kind of difference when I'm teaching a, a pop singer is the style of the music, the part of the voice we're using, and, you know, the, that they may be mic'd up. You know? yeah. and I always say to my students, you know, all the microphone is going to do is amplify your sound. If your sound is like a flat line and there's no tone and there's no um, emotion and there's no feeling in it, well, it's just going to be louder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a dancer also, so it's always been very important to me. Um, and I, I, my students, I always warn them in advance. I say, the first few sessions are going to consist of physical stretches, you know, correct posture, vocal physiology, breathing exercises, before we even sing a note. Yeah. You know, and they're all prepared for that. And they know, you know, they'll say, we're going to do any book. Oh, yes, we will. We're going to do those. Don't worry. I've got loads of tongue twists. I've got loads of vocal exercises. We'll do them. But I want to know that this breathing um, technique is in your body first. Mm. And I always start from that point with everybody. Once the singer puts a piece of music in front of them and they're, they're concentrating on the notes and the rhythm and the words, they can forget what's going on in their body. Mm. It's a bit like when you're dancing and someone gives you all the footwork and they say, right, we're going to do arms now. And you go, oh, I've forgotten what I'm doing with my feet, you know. So I, which is why I find it so important to get that well-established first. Yes. Before we any music and then we can adapt we can um not adapt apply those techniques to the song and to the music phrase by phrase chunk by chunk and that's how I tend to work singing to me and my voice is everything because <laughs> it's allowed me the life I have now it's a, it's given me some amazing experiences and taken me to some fantastic places and met wonderful people and now it's um it's it's my job it's you know my voice yeah. is my job now and, and I, I use it every day um, in in order to inspire um, the next generation. Absolutely. We're both on the same page with that. We love our work, don't we? So obviously with all these adventures of travelling around and, and going off, I mean, even like if I go back a bit to when you were in school and playing violin with your sister, have you got any sort of places that you went with the orchestra that really just gave you an, a, a bit of an event where you saw yourself, this is the life I want? Yes. I mean, we we got to play, well, most of the um, orchestral trips that we went on were exchanges mm. with other schools and other youth orchestras who we went to and then they came to us and then we did the same and there was all the hospitality and everything was thrown in, you know. One of my lasting memories is when we went to Venice. Mm. Uh, we actually... Uh, toured around that part of Italy. Um, we went to lots of different places. We stayed in this huge complex, um, sort of with the Umbrian Mountains in the background. Oh, and gosh. then we travelled. So we'd get up in the morning and we'd get on a coach and we'd get all our instruments in a van and we'd go to the next town and we'd set up, usually in the town square or the town hall, either oh. in outdoors or indoors, depending on what the weather was like. And we'd uh, have a rehearsal. We'd get back on a coach, go back to the accommodation, the next day do a different place so we didn't really get to see these places very much <laughs> yes of course we went to venice padua pisa all of those places around that region benito vittorio i think it's called i might be wrong but don't quote me on that okay i remember it again i was about 16 or 17 
And it just had such an impact on me. The beauty of Venice, you know, the, the, the history and all of this music. Everywhere you went, there was music. There were street musicians playing in the piazzas. There were opera singers standing on the corner wow. with the fabulous acoustic, you know, because you've got the, the canal and the bridges and all the walls around you. And the, wow. the sound would just bounce off. And we did a fantastic concert, um, which was in a, a, a town square that had a sloped sort of um, cobbled floor. But it was a natural amphitheater. The, the actual buildings around it was this natural amphitheater. Ah. I'll never forget it because the weather was balmy summer evenings. You know, we was playing the orchestra and there was swallows, you know, um, flitting from building to building oh. as the sun went down. And there was all these, this audience of, you know, very beautifully dressed and well-turned-out Italians who'd come to hear us. And it was just magical. And I thought, oh, my God, this is the life I want. Yeah. I mean, we were playing mostly sort of chamber music, string orchestra-type music, um, or we, we'd do a couple of nice symphonies. And I'd, I think there was one concert where we had a mezzo-soprano soloist. It, it may have been something like Marlefour, possibly. And and I just I was just entranced. I listened to her and I was like, oh my goodness, that's what I want to. I want to stand up there in front of the orchestra, oh, you know. Um, yeah. And um, and I, then of course, I, when my voice really developed, I was a mezzo as well. Yeah. I've never been a high soprano, and um, and I did achieve eventually. I think towards the end of my uh, years in, in music college, I went to Trinity. I did finally have my sort of debut when um, we did um, the Kingdom. With the, with the college orchestra and choir, and I actually got to stand on the stage of the, of the Queen Elizabeth Hall wow. with the other soloists in a big gown. And, and yeah, this was the 80s, so the gowns were big. And <laughs> Great big <laughs> brand thing. Remember those Laura Ashley oh. big leather button sleeves? Everyone was in those. Yes. And, uh, and I did, and my mum came down from, from Manchester, and, uh, and it was one of the another wonderful moment when I was like yeah I used to be back there in the orchestra now I'm at the front. now I'm at the front oh that's so exciting oh that's so so exciting have you got have you got some lovely photos of you in brilliant costumes over the years I have yeah. I bet you have yeah. there's, a, there's a few crazy ones on my website mostly from my my time at the books in um opera house there was um there's a few crazy costumes oh I, Not many. I only put a few on my website because obviously you know yeah it's it a little a little, a little uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So along the way, is there anything that you now know that you wish you'd learned sooner? I've had a lot of personal growth recently, um, certainly in the past year. Mm. Um, and I've really had the time to concentrate on meditating, yoga, doing work on my mindset, um, eliminating all the limiting beliefs and negative self-talk things that I realize have come right from my childhood um, and learning how to manifest and set intentions and have gratitude every morning that kind of thing and I think that when I was tearing around in my 20s and 30s and you know working so hard and trying to really strive to make something of my life I wish I'd known this then because I think my life might have been karma and maybe other opportunities would have come my way as well. I mean, I don't have any regrets. I, yeah, I, really, I was going to say that sounded no. slightly regretful, but you, no, you, I don't, do, yeah, you I don't, don't regret it. No, I don't have regrets. I mean, my good. life went in a different direction to what I thought it would, but it's all come to a good place now. And, mm. and I've realised that all of that journey has, has, has been on, 
on its way to here and that all those experiences were valid and, and, and needed to get to this point. But I think it, they would have been really helpful tools to help me deal with um, stress. I you know now I know that stress is the biggest contributor to health issues, you know, um, and it gets in the way of your well-being. I know, you know, I worry sometimes about the long term effects that that kind of stress in 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. So, yeah, if, if I'd known about this earlier, um, I think life would have been a little calmer. And yeah. uh, because I, I, I did tend to be very high energy and very manic in those days. <laughs> yeah, actually, to be fair, I think um, we've, we've been speaking quite a lot recently, haven't we? Because you've, you've taken part in the Reset Manifest course that I did as a pilot yeah. subject, which has been brilliant. I have to say thank you again for for all your valuable feedbacks. It's been really helpful. But we have found that getting to know each other, that there's been all these different, even though we've had different careers and different types of singing, we've had these parallels. And yeah. some of it relates really to the relationship we have with our voice and the relationship we have with ourselves. So I wondered if we could sort of go off on a tangent on that for a few minutes, just to let our listeners know how that, you know, that that sort of journey is really important as well. The inner critic versus oh, yeah. the the inner coach. And I think what I'm what I'm doing now is trying to encourage people to really work on their inner coach so that the inner critic hasn't got such a big voice. Yeah, um, how yeah. do you how do you feel about that? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and I, again, this past year has given me the chance to be my inner coach because, mm. you know, you're so busy trying to work and strive and move forward that you forget to just be present. And so um, for in some ways, the pandemic has been a, a very positive experience for me. And you know, I know. Obviously, for a lot of people, it's been tragic and terrible, but um, it's given me a chance to um, go inward yeah, and to really look um, inside myself and realise that quite a lot of the obstacles that I thought were, had happened to me and come into my life actually was me getting in my own way. And so because of this work I've been doing, because, you know, your course, your reset and manifest has been amazing and I love it. But I'd also started doing other courses. I'd yeah. done the, um, the Deepak Chopra uh, 21 Day Abundance Challenge. And I've been learning all about, um, uh, you know, my health and the gut and the, and the you know, the um, biome and uh, eating better. And, you know, there's been a whole, quite a, a, um, a holistic approach over the past year to sort of improving things in my life and, and getting healthier as I get older. But certainly the limiting beliefs, my goodness, I mean, it made me realise that a lot of it came from my childhood, you know, the the narrative, the sort of, um, especially around money, you know, mm. when, when people are always saying, um, um, you know, money is the root of all evil and, um, you know, who do you think I am, Rothschild, and uh, we can't afford it. And, you know, that was a lot of that and many other expressions to do with money um, when I was growing up. And... And it made me feel maybe that that wasn't for me in that, you know, that stay in your lane, you know. Yeah. And I didn't really dream big. I mean, I when it came to the music, I did, Lee, because I've just remembered when I was a child, I was quite ambitious. And I would always say to my mom, I'm going to do this. And then she'd be so proud of me when I did. So, for example, um, I went to, I'm going off on a tangent again, sorry, but... You're allowed, with, it's all right. With the, with the school choir, we were taken to the, the Free Trade Hall, which was the main concert hall in Manchester at the time. And um, we went to see a wonderful concert um, with Yehudi Menuhin as the soloist and the uh, Halley Orchestra. And I sat there um, and I said, I think, parents, I can't remember now, we were definitely with our music teacher, but I think parents were allowed to come. 
And I sat there and said, I'm going to play on that stage. And my mum said, oh, that's a good ambition to have. Well, uh, well, you know, good, good luck. And then not long after, probably only a few years later, I must have been about 11 or 12 when we went to the concert. A few years later with the Manchester Youth Orchestra, I played on that stage in the Free Trade Hall with Yehudi Menuhin as the soloist wow. doing the Beethoven Violin Concerto. Oh, that's amazing. And so, I mean, there was all these weird kind of parallels where I'd say, I'm going to do that. And I didn't know then I was manifesting and setting my intentions, but I know now yes. that it was such a strong, you know. And then one day we went for a day out um, in, in, um, in Derbyshire with my mom and, and we, would, uh, we were looking all around the countryside and walking and we went to Buxton and we found the Buxton Opera House, which is just glorious. One of those beautiful ornate theatres with the red velvet chairs oh, and just yeah. gorgeous and the surroundings with the square and everything and the old buildings and it's just lovely. And I, and I said to my mom, I looked up at the sort of dome and I said to my mom, I'm going to sing on that stage one day. And then for years and years, I sang on that stage, eight uh, shows a week, you know. So um, I, I just... It's funny, isn't it, how you only really kind of realise these things when you look back on them many years later, that even back then I was manifesting and setting my intentions. Yeah. You know, but despite all the limiting beliefs, despite all of those things around money, I found that music kind of elevated me out of that kind of working class mindset. And the people I was mixing with were very different. You know, they were, I suppose, you know, I don't like to talk about class, but they were, they were, they were much more privileged. Mm. They, they, they'd had a lot more than we did. They were much, well, I won't say better educated because we had an amazing education in our grammar school. Um, you know, our state grammar school was fabulous education, all-round education. Um, but these people seemed more worldly and they seemed, yeah. I, because of my music and because of the violin and because of the singing, I was able to then mix in these uh, societies, I suppose. You know, I was able to go uh, to a concert or do a recital and be able to converse and have, you know, meaningful conversations with people from all walks of life and feel that I could be part of that, that I was equal to that, equal yeah. to them. Well, well you I are. I, of course I was, but, yeah. but brought up with this kind of working class mentality that you kind of, you, you, so it brought me up into something a little more cultured and the music did that for me. The music and the art and the dance and everything just elevated my education and completed my education in a way. Well, it's never complete. We never stop learning. Yeah, really. we never but stop learning. You know what, I know what you it mean. It certainly helped to complete my school education. And so I found that I didn't feel like a fish out of water, you know, when I was at a, you know, a drinks party or, or after afterwards, you know, after a recital, you know, often people would get together for a little social. And, and I felt at home there. And it was the music that did that. You know. So you and music go hand in hand. You're, you're, oh, they do. You know, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> music and school and instruments now it's almost like that's a privilege isn't it it's not necessarily Um, something it's not mainstream anymore and it's so important isn't it for kids to be able to express themselves and find a means to uh to express themselves whether that's through voice or singing or an instrument or whatever and I was just wondering with you working with the little ones do you see that there's a link a sort of link in being more connected to the world through expression and music Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Singing makes you happy, doesn't it? It releases all the happy hormones and all those endorphins. And when you see children who are excited and they're singing and dancing and clapping and doing a few little movements, they're, 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 they're living their best life. They're so happy, you know. It's for them, and I think certainly for very little ones, two and three-year-olds, sometimes they're not listened to, they're not heard. Sometimes um, they're dismissed. And, and, and when it comes to something like singing... 
you get everybody's attention, you know, when you're with the grandparents and you suddenly sing a song. Everyone's listening. Everyone's uh, encouraging you and then and then giving you, you know, wonderful, positive feedback afterwards. If they'd actually got the, the courage to stand up and sing in front of everyone and it didn't really matter if it was beautiful or not for us but because for them they they were having a moment and imagine you know how disappointed they feel after opening their hearts like that to then have everyone go oh okay who's yeah. next then are you gonna play the recorder for us at all oh, whatever, oh you know? i know i know so um you know so i would always use very much um positive reinforcement from for everything yes you know and even when i was teaching the the toddlers and um, i would devise a lesson plan that that consisted of you know little songs and and nursery rhymes that would and oh, we always had shakers and, and and bells and things you know it, they didn't realize they were just having fun when I was teaching them about tempo and about rhythm and about pitch and about dynamics you know yeah uh, and all of these things and they didn't realize it you know we were doing songs you know where we were we were singing loud and soft and fast and slow and we would have movements to go with everything and one of the things I, I realized was that keeping things fun and interactive and keeping them involved I wasn't just the, the only person with the shaker they had one each in their hands as well keeping them involved keeping them engaged mm. was the thing was the key to raise the energy encourage a, a passion and a love of music just like I had yeah you know, occasionally I'd bring in an instrument and blow all their minds you know <laughs> yeah so like, so, how do you do that <laughs> one day I bought a violin and another day I brought in a flute another day I brought in a guitar and then we'd make our own out of tissue boxes and, and toilet roll holders. oh that sounds so much fun <laughs> so That's I'm at th- th- that age what was important to me was to instill a love and a passion of music rather than have a lot of little potential singers you know mm. You know, and then also when I think about my musical education, you know, learning about the classical composers and the countries they came from and their lifestyles and the centuries they came from and the history of it. The music then became a geography lesson and a history lesson. Yeah. And, you know, you, you learned about, you know, you, you know, you only had to look at Strauss and you were learning about Vienna and the waltzes and the history at the time. And the same with Mozart, you know, it music became so much more than just music it, it, it really gave you a more rounded education and and so I'm a huge believer in this and I, I was very lucky you know I I went to a, a good grammar school and, and we had um, like music centres that were um, run by the local education authority run by oh, the wow. council okay. so we could go and have violin lessons or whatever lessons after school and it was all provided for we didn't have to pay That's we were great. so so lucky I mean obviously when we went on tours abroad and things like that parents would have to help out but it was wonderful to have this um provided you know nowadays of course you know unless you're in an arts ed school or an academy you don't get those lessons in your day-to-day it's not part of the curriculum which I think is very sad I do on the other on the other side of that you know if it was if it wasn't (laughs) for parents encouraging their children to have private lessons I wouldn't have a career yeah what else do you love about the voice as an instrument and working with new students I love that, you know, your body is your instrument and every voice is completely individual and different. Yes. And that every new student I have, I've got a whole, you know, clean slate to start yes. with. Yes, wonderful. I love that too. I absolutely I love, love that. that too. And I get great feedback from parents who say, wow, you know, um, my daughter's really talented, but she had problems with her, um, her confidence um, and everyone knew how talented she was but her. And you really brought that out and you've helped instill the confidence in her. And now that's reaching into all the areas of her life as well. Now she's saying yes to things that she maybe wouldn't have said yes to before. Now she, you know, she's believing in herself more. 
It's so, so important, bit, isn't it? it it's is. so important. And, and I know you like to kind of, you know, teach the, the, the whole person, not just the voice. And yeah. I'm, I'm getting that way myself where I'm really trying to sort of encourage um, that confidence in their lives, not just in their voice. And, you know, if they've got exams coming up, I'll do a kind of countdown to exams and I'll send them meditation audios and they'll be like, oh my God, I played this to my brother as well. And he thought it was fabulous. And now we're all doing it before bed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's brilliant. It, it, it's wonderful. I, I have to say it really is the most rewarding job. And, you know, I've realized um, that when you're doing what you absolutely love, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, that's the great <laughs> thing, isn't it? It really is the great thing. I remember, so, you know, I can't remember who it was. Somebody said to me as a, as a kid, you know, you're winning at life if you can find something you love and get paid for it. Find yeah. something you love doing and then get paid for it. And that's kind of like, well, <clears throat> we've got there. <laughs> my, we've, I've gone around the houses a little bit, but... It took me long enough, yeah. Long now enough. getting into the autumn years, you know, it took me long enough. But you know, hey, it's never too late, is it, Lee? Never too late. You know, it's very easy with the society we have now, isn't it? Because everything moves so quickly, and there's so much technology, and there's so much distraction. Oh. It's very easy to um, to kind of lose yourself, or you know, lose that part of yourself that. Um, Reminds you what you're here to do. So, you know, yes. your ikigai, yes. we won't get into that. Ikigai, yes. <laughs> we could talk. My life purpose. Oh, yeah. it's brilliant. So I'd love to ask you about what voices inspire you, actually, Joanna. Are there any particular favourite singers that you've loved over the years? Or who who you connect to musically? Who could you never tire of oh, listening so to? So many, so many. Um, okay. I'll try and kind of just go with the main ones because there's a long list. <laughs> So many voices have inspired me. I mean, I grew up listening to the music of my parents. You know, they, my dad loved jazz and blues. And so we were always listening to Ella Fitzgerald, <sighs> Billie Holiday, yeah. Sarah Vaughan. And, you know, he loved the Glenn Miller Orchestra and all that kind of jazz. And, you know, he, he guarded his vinyl collection with his life. You know, he wow. was the only one allowed to touch it and clean it and put it on the turntable. But we all enjoyed listening to it. And so from a very early age, I was influenced by, uh, by jazz. My mum loved the kind of rock and roll and the music you could dance to. And both my, my parents actually used to dance uh, ballroom together. They used to go oh. on a Saturday night and that's how they met. But she used to love the rock and roll. She used to love to jive. And so I had a lot, you know, just, there was Elvis in the house and there was Bill Haley in the comments and all that. Mm. Um, but certainly Ella Fitzgerald out of that part of my life was yeah. the one that stuck. And, you know, I still think she's, you know, the, the ultimate singer. Um, the way she you know, uses a voice like a sax or a trumpet, yeah, like an instrument, you know. Um, absolutely. And so, and I actually got to see Anne Fitzgerald. Um, <gasps> oh my in, gosh, tell me, yeah, tell me, tell live, me. Live, live, <sighs> at the Royal Albert Hall. <sighs> um, I think it must have been about 89. And it was when Jazz FM launched for the first time. And they had this amazing concert at the Royal Albert Hall where all the, the great jazz singers came. We had a whole list of amazing singers and Ella was the, the headliner. I bet. She was very old. Yeah. You know, she could hardly see. Um, you know, she was walking with a stick because, you know, she was diabetic and she had all kinds of, of, of health issues and complications for that. And she came onto the stage and she sat on a stool. And my, it was one of the highlights of my life. Wow, I and bet. I get it to see her live. Um, and that was actually the last time that she visited the UK before she died. And um, so that was a real privilege to see her. So Ella was my first big influence. And, and I have had the chance to sing jazz and blues myself over the years. Um, I used to have a, a band with my ex and we used to uh, do quite a lot of corporate gigs. And I was always a singer. And that was fun to do a different style, you know. Mm. And then I think sort of more, more in my school years, um, I was hugely influenced by Barbara Streisand. <sighs> I couldn't believe that anyone could sing like that. I think that's what inspired my interest in vocal technique. 
I would always be, how does she hold that note on for so long? Mm. How does she sing so so low and then so high? And I, I just, I, I think that's where it all started, this curiosity into the physiology of the voice. And yeah. How do you do that, you know? And so, um, yeah, Barbara Streisand was huge. And, uh, and of course, you know, then we had, what was, what was that single she did with, um, oh, Donna Summer. Oh, gosh, No it, More Tears. Yeah. Enough is oh enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I mean, all that, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that it. was that era, that time, you know. And then, of course, a music college, even though I was there as a violinist, I, I discovered opera, opera singing and I, I found it to me. It was like I don't I've always been a very emotional, very romantic person. Mm. And to me, an opera, like going to see something like Madame Butterfly or mm. I don't know, um, uh, La Boheme. Yeah. For me, it was like the ultimate romantic uh, medium you yeah. know um to go on that roller coaster of emotions up and down you know just letting the tears flow mm. and, and just being able to, to be taken on that journey with the characters I found it amazing and uh you know it, <laughs> it didn't help with my relationships in my senses because I kind of expected life to be like yeah that no isn't it disappointing I was quite disappointing um uh yeah I mean whilst all my peers were raving about Maria Callas uh I was, um, you know, discovering that I was a mezzo-soprano. I was drawn more towards the warmer, fuller tones. Mm. I was singing alto in the choir. And I was listening to Maria Ewing singing Carmen, you know, and Sarah Walker and um, and Sophie Von Otter. And these warm, rich kind of, I tend to think of the soprano like the sort of sparkling wine. Yes. And the mezzo like the, the, the full Body yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so, and but I was drawn to those towards those sounds, and I had the privilege of seeing Anne Sophie von Otter at the Wigmore Hall live when she was quite young, you know, and she was just starting out. Wow. And I never forgot that. And I and I picked up loads of wonderful repertoire from that as well. You know, I think that's when I started singing the French song, the French chanson, you know, and loving. Mm. Um, and I did French at school, so it was kind of from all the languages I had to learn as a singer. French was the one that came the most uh, naturally. To yes, me. that makes um, sense. So I loved singing Poulenc and Debussy and. And all that, I just loved it. And I was into Cecilia Bartoli for a little bit. I loved her precision, her clarity when she was singing Mozart, the way she would use every note. But then ultimately came the Grand Dame, my absolute favorite singer in the world across all types and genres, is Jessie Norman. Oh my goodness. Um, I, she's, <laughs> once I discovered her, it was like, okay, yeah. Bye, told you yeah. <laughs> no, not really. I still listen to them, but it was like, okay, now, now this is the one. You yeah. Know? Like finding your your true love. Do you um, remember what your first song by Jesse Norman was? Do you remember like is, do you, can you remember what the, um, the, the impact first of that? Recording that I heard of hers, which still is a favourite now, um, was her recording of uh, uh, Richard Strauss's four last songs. I love the way she interprets his music. The, the way that she uses her voice, not only is her voice extremely powerful, but it's so sensitive. The way that she, she soars up into the higher notes, especially on a crescendo, it just turns me to jelly. I, mean, mm. I feel the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I, I go, oh, you know. yeah. I, I, it just has an effect on me. And the four last songs were so poignant. You know, I think they were the, the, the final songs that Strauss wrote in his life as well. And I, I think they were... The, even the songs themselves were, weren't published till after he died oh, wow. by a friend of his. And they turned out to be like his swan song as well. So mm. I think the being called the four last songs was it was just beautiful. And it's just remained. It's one of those recordings that I never, ever tire of. Doesn't matter how many thousands of times I hear it. 
it will always do this, have the same effect. It will st- always turn me to jelly, hairs and back of the neck. Particularly number three of the four last ones, Beimschlafengehen, which is the one uh, which translates to while, while falling asleep. It alludes to death. Mm. but it's one of the most beautiful when you listen to it you imagine the soul leaving the body and just rising into heaven or whatever you believe in you know and um there's a part there's a moment in it where she sings the the main melody and then a violin solo comes in and then she sings the same melody as a violin solo with her voice and it just crescendos and soars and soars and it's just bliss. It's to me, it's like that if you know, if it's such a place as heaven, yeah. that's what it sounds like. Yes. It's it's that moment in that song that I love it so much. I'm like, I want it played at my funeral and my memorial oh, service. Wow. You know, it's, yeah. it's just unbelievable. And and that was the first time I ever heard her voice. And of course, I've listened to many of her recordings and operas since then. But she, I think, she became a, a bit of a, a, a specialist when it came to Richard Strauss's music. It's never left me, and I discovered it in the eighties, and it still stands up. Yes, as my favourite. You know, did you ever get um, to see Jessie Norman? <laughs> I never saw her live, sadly. Um, um, but I did see a lot of her um, filmed mm. uh, uh, opera performances. Yeah. And then, and every now and then I'll see a wonderful quote by her on, you know, a singer's group on Facebook or something where she's talking about vocal physiology and as she, pedagogy as she calls it. And she, yeah. and she, and she would, uh, she'd be interviewed, you know, about her life by someone, I don't know, let's say Parky. And, and she'd be talking about these important things that she wished everyone would learn and, and it would just validate and reinforce everything that I was teaching, you know, or thinking of teaching at the time. Yeah. It was just so inspiring to have someone with such an inspirational voice to also talk about technique. Yes. Uh, that yeah. way, you know, it made you think I'm on the right path, you know. That's perfect. <laughs> That's so perfect. What does your voice mean to you? I, I suppose it means freedom because of my story, mm. because of the, you know, almost having to give it all up because of a, a health issue and a physical obstacle, my voice means freedom to me. Um, in the context of singing, it's being able to express myself and my emotions through music without feeling pain, without feeling difficult, without feeling stressed. And, you know, using those breathing vocal techniques to free my voice in a relaxed sound, which, which is what I teach. I suppose in the context of speaking, I'm, I'm a communicator. You know, that, that's, I've always been that way. It helps me feel confident, feel sure of myself. Uh, I find it completely liberating, you know, to be able to speak my truth now. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I think I spent quite a lot of my 20s and 30s people pleasing, you know, maybe saying what I thought people wanted to hear, um, you know, trying to to keep my man happy in relationships and not always uh, speaking up when needed. Uh, I think so I many think, so many people will relate to that. Yeah, I think yeah. I think for anyone listening who's who's sort of over forty, yeah. really, it's yeah. quite easy to look back on your twenties and thirties and not not so much think what well, you know what was I thinking, but I th- I do think you you go through a couple of decades of just finding what yeah. it is you want to do, and even if even if you're listening to this and you're in your twenties and you're like I know what I want to do, I'm going to do that. You might find that your life will give you a few <laughs> turns yeah. in the road. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I suppose, yeah, it's interesting, it isn't it? It doesn't always go the way you plan, but it, wherever it goes is where it's meant to go. Exactly. I'm um, a true believer in that. And I think, that. certainly, I was always a bit of an agony aunt with my friends as well, you know. And my friends would always come to me with their 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 um, their, their relationship issues and, and want to, to have some advice from me. A lot of my friends are younger than me as well, so they'd see me as that kind of auntie figure. Yeah. Um, and now I'm much better at 
speaking the truth, saying what I really feel and what I think they really need to hear, not what they want to hear. Yeah. And, 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 you know, at whatever the cost that may be, they may not like what I'm saying, but I'm being true to myself and I'm saying what I think is going to be helpful. And, you know, in the end, they're often quite grateful for my honesty, you know, when they realise that actually, you know, everyone else has been just saying what they think they want to hear. And now they're hearing something that is a hard truth to hear, but necessary. So I'm getting much better at speaking my truth and I'm getting, oh, so much better at saying no. I mean, goodness <laughs> me, I don't think I knew the meaning of the word when I was younger. I mean, you know, I, I say no now. I'm getting much better at walking away from things, um, about not o- uh, overstretching and overwhelming myself by saying yes. I mean, there was times in my 30s when I'd actually double book because I didn't want to I- offend someone. And then I'd be running around like a headless chicken trying to commit to the things I'd said yes to. And mm. now I'm much better at saying no. That's No, I know what my boundaries are. I know what my limits are. I know how much energy I have. I know how much I can do in a day. Yeah. And I'm much better at saying no. And that's that's been, again, liberating. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that, you know, having gone through many years of just work, 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 work. And then you kind of look back on it and go, what was I thinking? It was too too much. Yeah. And you forget. I think it's very easy. And I, loads, of, loads of teachers I know I've worked with over the years who will go, that's what you do because when you are someone who wants to help others you can quite easily neglect yourself in the process because you're so giving and you're so wanting to help other people absolutely and you know I'm very I am a quite a giving personality um and um, I'm very much an empath as well and you know I really feel what other people feel and I really kind of take on board people's energy and their vibe and and, you know, I have to be really careful about that and kind of set my boundaries. I'm going to wrap with this last question because it's going to be awesome. I, I think it relates so much to what you just said about what your voice means to you. But I'd love to know what vocal freedom is for you. What, what does it mean to you? I think speaking your truth, mm. being true to yourself, um, speaking your, from your heart, from your gut, mm. just from your mind, um, listening to that voice and being able to express it. Um, and listening to yourself as well, you know, listening to your inner voice, I think, is really important. And that's a skill I've only learned in the last few years. You know. mm. And when we build that connection with ourselves, we can also look at how that translates to understanding a character and character development. So what advice would you give to your students with that? Put yourself in the character of the person who's singing this song. Research the backstory, understand who they are and who you are portraying so that you can tell their story and so that your voice can move the listeners Mm. and take them on an emotional journey. But you can kind of, in some ways, tell your story through the character because whatever emotions and experiences they're having are the human condition, aren't they? That's it. And you've got a pull from your own experiences to to, to go and portray that. I, I remember my teacher when I was uh, 18, no, probably 20, saying to my lovely singing teacher, Libby Hawes, I want to sing Carmen. And she said, right, well, let's wait till you've got a bit more life experience and think about it in your late 30s. Then you'll have what's necessary to sing Carmen. Yeah. yeah. Age appropriate. It's really necessary, yeah. especially with really younger important. kids. Yeah. yeah. So important. Age appropriate, yes. I've often had, you know, a very sort of preteen bringing me a really uh, a teen type song. Yeah. You know, a boy that's left her and I'm like, I, I, <sighs> yeah, you I, just I, go something else. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's, it's not appropriate. But also, um, you know, 
almost kind of gender appropriate as well sometimes not always I find that quite often with the, the folk songs that my, my students choose for their exams quite often it's from a male narrative and he's singing about his beautiful lady and etc and and quite often I say to them fine if you love the song we'll sing it and you sing it as a, as a boy yeah um, but there are some times when it just doesn't work because of the context of the song and I have to say to them steer them in another direction and say let's have a look at this one I think this will suit you better and the other thing is because our voices are so connected with our emotions. I insist that my students relate to the song and like the song. Mm. There's no point in saying, I know some teachers say, right, these are your pieces for your grade three or whatever. And they just give them to them. <sighs> no, I want, I have to go through that process with my students. Oh, totally. Me ideas, too. And yeah. then they choose and they go, no, no, no. Oh, that's a possibility. And then we, we look at it together. And it's so important to me that they love the songs because they're going to be singing them for quite a while if they're working on them yeah. for an exam, maybe a whole term or longer. And they're going to get so bored and they're going to hate it if they don't relate. Yes. So I, I make it very um, a priority that my singers have to choose songs that they like, that they relate to, and that they they are never going to really tire of, yeah. hopefully. I'm so we're, we're so like kindred spirits on this completely and I think that the reason that is so important like you say apart from the fact that they'll get bored with it they might lose their passion for it entirely if, if you just and also exactly I don't I never wanted to be a teacher that's just an instructor these are the rules this is what you do because yeah. you're not really having a relationship with that student I think student-led learning in terms of listening to what they want to do and then guiding them along that path so that Absolutely. they get to achieve what they want it's so important it's so important yeah what's coming up for Joanna have you got some uh, some lovely things you can tell our listeners about that you're getting up to now um well uh, yes I mean I've been teaching one-to-one um singing lessons for uh, about 10 years now <laughs> 10 years really it's about 10 years I can't believe it um, and um, and then I started teaching um one-to-one theory lessons for grades one to five for ABRSM I've recently um, branched out to the Trinity Rock and Pop uh, um, exam board as well because I've a couple of students who enjoy singing pop music and so I've had to kind of diversify a little. That's and cool. and the latest thing for me that I started literally last week is my group singing lessons. Oh, lovely! Um, because I, especially in the in the dance world, I, I do a lot of Latin dancing and it's a huge world of very creative people. And quite often I'd have adults saying, oh, I've always wanted to learn to sing, send me all your details. And then they'd be put off by the fee for a one-to-one, you know. Same with dancing, it's not cheap, you know, uh, if you want a one-to-one with your favourite teacher. And so I decided to give it a go. And um, I put a, a post on Facebook asking for volunteers to help me. I was quite inspired by you, actually, in your your reset and manifest. Oh. You asked for volunteers to help you I did. run a trial. And, and I thought, well, why don't I do the same? So I did a, a trial session with a small group of uh, people that I already know from different parts of my life who were all kind of rooting for me, who, who, who then were much more up for giving it a go. The, the, one of the sort of light bulb moments that I've had recently is that now I'm teaching online. You know, again, it's come out of the pandemic. Yeah. Before that, I was going to my students' houses. I can teach anyone anywhere in the world as long as the time difference fits. And I can be anywhere in the world teaching as long as I have Wi-Fi. Yeah. So um, I invited everyone I know. And, you know, a lot of the dance I do is Brazilian social dancing. I had students from Brazil, a student from Paris, a few from the UK and various parts of the UK who joined my group session and who all were able to be part of one lesson with me, oh, um, regardless of where they live. 
And so um, certainly when you ask what's next, I have a global vision, Lee. Yes. Music Box is going global. Yes. Um, and I now have students, you know, in various places in the UK, in Paris, in Brazil. And I hope that it's going to spread even further. Yeah. Um, you know, this business is quite referral based in some ways. And you know, a lot of my work comes from word of mouth. And so all my friends all over the world are now, they know now to spread yeah. the word. <laughs> Whenever they hear of anyone, keep your ear to the ground. If you hear of anyone interested in music theory or singing let them know you know it doesn't matter where you live and so yeah it's really freed me up again with all that because um you know before everything was about location and and I was only teaching students in London within an hour's radius you know absolutely um, to get to them and so um now it's all opened up so yeah I'm going global I love it so am I I know it's the pandemic for you and I is sort of given us the chance to slow down and reflect and reassess and then come out of it stronger and better Whereas obviously, yeah, we, we, you know, we can't avoid the fact that for some people it's been devastating. Yeah. But thank goodness we've been able to turn that into something and create something that's turned out to be yeah. beneficial and not just helping yourselves and ourselves, but other people as well. That's the, that's the main thing. Absolutely. And now, I, you know, the more people I can help simultaneously, the better, which is why the group lessons are, are, are quite working quite well. I've only done a couple so far, but um, the group that started with me as volunteers have stayed with me and a couple more have joined. So um, maybe, you know, I'll have two or three nights a week or, you know, Saturday afternoon where I'll have different groups. Yeah. I may even be able to have a Brazilian group, you know, yeah. all on the same time zone and then a French group. Oh, that'll be so amazing. That's that's the plan. Absolutely. Really um, develop that, you know. Thank you so much for being a guest this week. It's been amazing to hear about your journey and all the light bulbs and things that have been going off and how you've coped with the pandemic and how you're thriving. It's it's really brilliant, mm. really inspiring. Thank you for having me, Lee. <laughs> you're inspiring too. Oh, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank yeah. you, Joanna. See you soon. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.